Whistleblower Report, exposing lies, deceptions, and all that has assaulted our way of life. We must take back our freedom and live as God designed in a free America that honors our Constitution and our Creator. Our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. For such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to another Whistleblower Report. This is Dr. Lee for America from Truth for Health Foundation with the legal segment of the Whistleblower Report this week. And I am here with two guests who are going to bring you, the public, some listeners, some critical information about what your local hospitals are obligated to be doing to report vaccine injuries and are ignoring. Warner Mendenhall is an attorney with more than 20 years experience going after health systems, governments, and others who are abusing the regulations and the requirements for proper use of taxpayer money and other wrongdoing in healthcare and other settings. He is with us today and also with us is a physician assistant, Deb Conrad, who has been on other programs with me and with the foundation's first press conference, Stop the Shot, exposing the damage of the COVID shots. And Deb was actually fired for refusing the unlawful order for mandating an experimental COVID shot and has been speaking out on that, now has legal action moving forward with her attorney, Warner Mendenhall. And they're going to be telling you about exactly what's going on that affects every one of you listening to this show. Welcome to the show, Warner and Deb. Deb, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background and what led to your firing, what you've been doing since, and then what you and Warner can talk about the next steps. Hi, thank you for having me on. So I've been a PA for uh, close to 20 years. I graduated in 2003 from the University of Pennsylvania at Lock Haven. And I have been a hospitalist PA for most of my career, meaning I've worked in the hospital setting, taking care of inpatients. Uh, I started out in large hospitals and then um, came back to my hometown in a small community hospital. And I had been there about 15 years. Um, I worked through the pandemic. Uh, I worked in leadership. I had a role in leadership as um, kind of our, our first, uh, I, I guess I should say, I, I sat on um, like the medical executive board and um, sat on um, our medical executive committee. And I worked in, like I said, in a leadership role. I was, I, had a lot of friends um, in the hospital setting. And um, when the pandemic came down, they asked me actually to go to Rochester 
uh, New York to basically train for kind of mass casualty training with this uh, looming pandemic coming. And I went with a group of um, other physicians. I was picked to go and did this training and came back and I was ready to kind of fight this, this pandemic. Um, went through the whole COVID experience, got through okay. It was a horrible time. And then the vaccines came out at the end of December, 2020. And they first rolled them out to the nursing home patients and the hospital staff. And I was very uncomfortable with the quickness by which the vaccines came out. And I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm just not going to get this right away. I'm going to, going to hang out and just wait and see what happens. Give it to the high risk people first is how I felt. I didn't feel I was high risk. So I'm actually glad I did because shortly after the vaccines were given to our um, elderly population in the community, we started seeing some very unusual things happen in the hospital. Um, a lot of our elderly uh, nursing home patients started coming with all sorts of odd issues, just, just strange things that I hadn't seen and keeping in mind that I had been in the hospital in this particular setting for a very long time. So I knew exactly what would come in on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and all of a sudden things were just unusual. We would be seeing a lot of unusual cases of heart attacks and strokes and blood clots and people that just had no risk factors. And interestingly, they would all say, I just got my vaccine and this happened to me. I didn't do anything differently. Um, so I, I started, you know, I'm a very inquisitive person. Um, patients and uh, their safety is, is priority to me. So I started doing a little research and I discovered the VAERS system. I started reading about the fact that healthcare workers um, were supposed to be reporting these unusual cases to the VAERS system from the get-go. And we never received communication that we should be doing that. Uh, again, we received all kinds of communication about pushing out the vaccines, but really nothing about safety. So I started on my own doing VAERS reports. Um, I got better at it over time because there's a lot of nuances with it. And I started talking to my leadership, my direct boss, my CMO, anybody that I could and said, guys, we need to be doing this. This is our duty, first do no harm. So um, I, they, they initially were like, yeah, great, Deb, go to town, you know, do as many reports as you want, that's, that's just fine. But it just got to be so overwhelming. My entire days off were spent doing various reports and calling back patients and talking to the CDC and all sorts of things. And I just said, you know what, I, I can't do this on my own, I need help. So I went back to leadership and I basically pleaded with them to make to, to educate our staff and get a plan in place for how we were going to handle this reporting. And that's kind of when things all went south. Uh, and interestingly, it was, it was right. I, I want to say it was, it was right about March that, that I really started getting um, vocal in my hospital and back and forth emails uh, with leadership about how do we make this better? And it resulted in an audit of, of my VAERS reports and the hospital leadership asked me to submit some patients that I reported and they were gonna review them and then let me know if I was over reporting. And so of course I submitted all the patients that the VAERS criteria said were required reporting, like COVID-19 infection requiring hospitalization in a vaccinated patient, a myocarditis, death, such, things such as that. And their, um, their conclusion was that I was over reporting. They said but that they- Deb, let me stop you for a minute. You, I want to emphasize what you just said for our listeners. You were only filing the VAERS reports 
on what the CDC itself said was a required reporting. Did we understand you correctly? Correct. It was the That's exact criteria that they specified on the Bears website that was required reporting by healthcare workers. Okay. That's a key point for the listeners to understand. CDC required those kinds of damages to be reported. And you did it. The right yep. thing. Okay. Absolutely. But I was made to feel like I was absolutely wrong and crazy for doing this. And I can't tell you how many exchanges I had with leadership about this. And I would just point the website out. I would screenshot it and say, I don't understand. This is required. It says it right here. I'm not over-reporting. I don't understand. And it it was, I thought I was going crazy. I'm, I don't understand why they can't see this. And the more I pushed, the more pushback I received to the point that I was getting ridiculed and 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 shunned and, and being treated like I was this anti-vaxxer, I was called names, all sorts of crazy things. And then I, I realized, you know, I'm I'm in trouble here. Like they're not, they're not gonna do this. And it came down to that, you know, because what they then came down with was that. I was no, they, they went to their risk management, you know, team, and they said, I could no longer do any VAERS reports on any patients in the hospital that I did not directly care for. Um, and I said, well, then who's going to do all these reports in, in my absence? And basically they were like, you know, that's really not your business kind of thing. Now, keep in mind, when I got really vocal with all of the staff, they the staff were giving me VAERS reports to do because, again, it takes a long time. Nobody has the time to do this when you're real busy in the hospital, a lot going on. So ER physicians, our surgeons, my own hospital's colleagues, they would be leaving me patients to report, and I would just report them, just what went on. Well, that was not allowed anymore, and they basically told me, look, if you know of patients, you give them to us, meaning the leadership, and we'll take care of making sure they get reported. And I said, well, how do I know that? Can you, can you give me the VAERS number so I can keep for my records? Because knowing that, knowing that these patients need to be reported and then not doing it, I feel like I was in a position that they were asking me to kind of violate the law. Because a lot of times these family members knew and they were waiting for their VAERS reports because I had already talked to them. And they basically well, they, no. they were asking you to violate the law. In my medical opinion, <laughs> we'll have the attorney's opinion as well. But the other thing is when one of us in medicine is required to report, whether it's a suicidal, homicidal patient, or in this case, a vaccine injury that the CDC said is required for healthcare reporters to report. When we don't do that, that is a potential license violation against us individually, as well as it could cost a job. So it's not just the employment that may be at risk if we fail our reporting duty. It could be loss of medical license or loss of your PA license. And that is very real. And you were right. In, in my opinion, professionally, what I would have done is exactly what you did and say, well, if you're going to take over the reporting responsibility and I'm aware of it and it could jeopardize my license, then I want a record that you reported it. Absolutely. I think that's critically important what you did. Mm -hmm. 
So I, and what I, I was doing then, I, I apologize. Go ahead. No, fine. Go oh. ahead. Uh, what I ended up doing was uh, they what they wanted us to do is put it in a, something called a Safe Connect system, uh, which again was like a VAERS report in and of itself. And who has the time to do that, right? So what I did was I just would I emailed my CMO and my direct boss the names of the patients and the conditions that they were presenting with, and I, I sent it in an email and I said, look, here are all the patients that need to be done. Please send me an email back that this was done. And again, it was, no, we're, we're not going to do that. It's, it's none of your business. You know, you, you are not to report these patients. Um, so it was a real dilemma for me, but I would not be quiet about it. And um, I, you know, I just kept doing what I am supposed to do as a healthcare worker. And then it got to the point that um, I was actually, my license was actually threatened. They had threatened to report me to uh, my New York state PA society for spreading misinformation um, because doing various reports and talking to patients about vaccine injury, I'm acknowledging that, that uh, you know, their condition in the hospital could possibly be due to the vaccine was spreading misinformation. So Which is flagrantly wrong as well. Um, no, there have been a lot of intimidation of doctors and nurses and PAs on those grounds. What I'd like to, now that you've laid the groundwork for what happened to you and the fact that the hospital was actually interfering with your duty to report the injuries, I'd like to ask your attorney to weigh in on what are the hospital's required reporting responsibilities and what's being violated here? Because I think the public needs to know Warren Mendenhall, welcome to the program and thank you for all you're doing on the legal front to hold these institutions accountable to the rule of law and to their duty to the public. Well, thank you. And in fact, the CDC has a COVID-19 vaccination program provider agreement that lays this out in crystal clear terms as to what the hospital's requirements are. And I think what is astounding about uh, Deb's story is the utter disregard of these basic requirements uh, that the CDC itself laid out. So if I could share a screen, I'd be happy to go through that uh, with your listeners and watchers. Let me figure out how to do this. Um, uh, here we go. So what we have here is the CDC COVID-19 vaccination program provider agreement. Uh, and it is absolutely clear. In fact, you can see right here, it names, these are called responsible officers that have to sign this and agree that they're gonna do that in order to be able to provide uh, vaccinations to the public. Uh, and down here below, you see your organization has to be identified. You have to have responsible officers that are named with their names and their titles. And then as we go down here, what, what I found fascinating, uh, you know, after talking to Deb and discovering this vaccination program provider agreement is that this is taken very seriously. Uh, and it's, you know, there are a number of requirements. You can see them listed, listing here. Uh, you know, I've highlighted a few things there. The organization must provide an approved emergency use authorization fact sheet or vaccine information statement as required to each recipient. 
I can tell you for a fact that we've heard from many people that that the informed consent has not been provided through providing this uh, fact sheet or vaccine information sheet. So there's one. I can confirm that from my own medical practice. None of my patients that got vaccinated at a hospital setting or any other setting, pharmacy or otherwise, received one of those, not one. So, you know, I mean, that's that's a major violation. We have seen that over and over. But but as I read through this list, there were a number of things that that really, really struck me in terms of their requirements. And this was the biggest one right here. Number 10, the organization must report moderate and severe adverse events following vaccination to the vaccine adverse event reporting system, which is VAERS, must report. There's no wiggle room there. It's not may report. It is must report. It's very, very clear language. Uh, so I was, uh, I was fascinated by that harsh requirement that all of these must be reported. And, and we know, and Deb knows that, oh my gosh, they're not reporting hardly any of this. Uh, and in fact, we see from the Harvard study that it's really only about one in a hundred that are getting reported net nationwide. So we only have a 1% compliance rate. So then I'm a Federal False Claims Act attorney. And one of the things we have to look at when someone's being reimbursed for the vaccine, is that a material condition for payment? That's something that I have fought for years about in the courts. And what I, you see this highlighted in red, uh, you know, normally this is a battle in the case, but this says, the above requirements are material conditions of payment for COVID vac COVID-19 vaccine administration claims. And I hate to use the word vaccine. I, I mean, these are not vaccinations. They are not using their discernment uh, in terms of naming it. They have butchered the English language. This is an mRNA genetic therapy at best. And, and even a therapy, it's more or less an mRNA genetic poison in my book. But nevertheless, they call it a vaccine and it is a material condition of payment that you meet these 12 requirements, including the reporting of moderate and severe adverse events. So we see a general disregard of the basic requirements to even participate in any kind of program uh, administering these COVID-19 shots. And then down at the bottom here, you can see that they are subject to criminal and civil penalties, criminal penalties, civil penalties for not doing this. So it is a crime. It's not just your license. It's a crime, a federal crime to not report back injuries. And additionally, now criminally, we have to rely on our uh, U.S. attorneys to go after these guys criminally. Um, but because it states that they could be subject to the False Claims Act, that is a civil process. And I'm a long time practitioner of False Claims Act law. And when I saw that, my eyes lit up because it meant I could do something about this. I didn't have to just sit on the sidelines. You know, this can happen. And, and I think that, you know, almost every hospital in this country is probably subject to 
a false claims act claim because I know how widespread there are very few exceptions and there are exceptions and thank God for the people in this country who are ethical and the hospital administrators who are running it ethically. But we have seen so much unethical behavior that I think at this point, the majority of hospitals are behaving unethically in this crisis and they're breaking federal criminal and civil statutes at this point. So, you know, I think this is a, a pathway to get at what they're doing. Um, and I'm gonna point out this at the bottom here, because we've seen a lot of problems with storage and handling conditions. So we know they're not following the protocols on storage and handling. We've heard about, you know, refrigerators being unplugged and, and uh, the, the shots being administered improperly and, and uh, thought out improperly, everything else. So then they sign off on this agreement. And as soon as they sign off on that, that's, that's all I'll go over this and I can stop sharing. But uh, as soon as they sign off on it, they are then subject to the False Claims Act. They're subject to criminal penalties, including lying by omission to the federal government. Yes. And the lie by omission is that 18 U.S.C. 1001 uh, requirement. They are lying by omission. So I am, uh, on the one hand, I am horrified by all that we're going through uh, with these horrible uh, shots and the damage that's being done, which we're hearing about in my office daily. And I, I know as a doctor, you're hearing more than me. Yes. But, uh, you know, I, I, am, uh, I am pleased that there is a way to at least hold them accountable to some extent under, the, under this program participation agreement. And we need whistleblowers throughout the country uh, nurses, uh, people who know what's happening in their various reporting systems at hospitals, uh, at any uh, what they call quote unquote vaccination provider. So any any institution that has signed one of these agreements is liable if they are not following up 100% and reporting moderate to severe uh, vaccine injuries. So well, I, that uh, is important. Now let me ask you this. I hear nurses often say, and some doctors say, well, I, I can't report any of this because it's a violation of HIPAA. Would you comment on that? Well, the interesting thing uh, with HIPAA, you know, when you bring forward documentation as a whistleblower, that is actually covered by HIPAA. The, technically, uh, our good civil servants, they want to know how the U.S. taxpayer is being ripped off and how we're being lied to as citizens. So we have good some, you know, we have a lot of problems in government, but we have good civil servants that want your information. They want to hear from whistleblowers and they will do their level best to do something about it. I've worked with them for years. We've had successful recoveries for years and I've, I've had a lot of disappointments as well because there is a lot of political, the political winds are blowing and sometimes that does affect them. But I can tell you, we have good civil servants in the federal government who want to fix this thing. They're patriots. They care about this country. They want to save this country, which unfortunately, that's where I think we are. We, we need to save the country at this point. But uh, they're there. They're there to help us. And when you gather your evidence, we need very specific, uh, in a case like this, very specific patient records. 
If you can get it, we need a copy of the program participation agreement. Uh, we need a copy of any billings that have been submitted uh, or any knowledge you may have that, the, that the, they've been paid for the shots that they've been given. That, that's the type of information that we need. It is covered under HIPAA. Be careful about it. You don't want to share it willy-nilly, but if you have access in the course of your employment to these records, you can make copies of them, and then you can get them to a Federal False Claims Act attorney. And there are about 500 or so of us who are practicing the, under the False Claims Act nationally on a regular basis. The, the best organization to find attorneys is Taxpayers Against Fraud in Washington, D.C. Uh, they have a list of, of, like I said, about 500 attorneys who do this area. But I, I, you know, and I will say, of course, I, you know, to plug my own firm uh, and to plug your organization, uh, Truth for Health uh, and, and the law office and our law office are definitely interested in, in receiving this information. And we are working together with, with whistleblowers to expose these crimes uh, and, uh, and the civil violations that, that we think we can recover for. So we're here to help. Uh, we can provide you attorney-client privilege situation with your documents, uh, and, and uh, you will be protected. Additionally, and really quickly, is that you have a claim, if you're fired, like Deb did, under the False Claims Act, under the whistleblower protection provisions. That is very good to know. And in fact, Truth for Health Foundation is leading a citizen's call to action on the tools and teaching the tools that citizens have to hold hospitals accountable to the rule of law and proper use of taxpayer dollars. Now, this is one of our actions that we are the Truth for Health Foundation to secure human and civil rights secured by law and defend that, as well as help defend the proper use of taxpayer dollars as a public charity we have a duty to assist the public in these matters. So we are working with Warner Mendenhall's entire firm to take forward several of these false claims actions where we know for a fact that we, we have patients, we have nurses and doctors that verify what is being done that is submitted as false claims to the federal government for payment. And, and we are involved in litigation as a plaintiff on behalf of the public to take that forward. And so that is one thing, but there are several other actions. And Warner has just indicated for those of you that work in health systems, you can be as Deb is, you can be a federal whistleblower bringing this information to be investigated properly to hold a hospital accountable for these false claims that is an abuse of taxpayer money, but also a betrayal of the public trust. So we're going to talk more about this in the second half of the show, but I wanted to emphasize that today. Our goal is to teach you the tools to be active in your community, to stop the fraud, stop the unlawful mandates of these experimental shots and stop the damage and be sure that hospitals are following the rule of law. This is Dr. Lean for America. 
with the Whistleblower Report. We'll be right back after the break. Check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org, and we have lots of medical and legal help. Click on the tab. You have lots of resources, and we are here to help. We'll be right back. The family of Juliana Parker would sincerely like to thank the Truth for Health Foundation. Without their help and support, we never could have gotten our mother out of the hospital and into our home so that we could be with her for the last week of her life. They gave us the strength, the courage, the knowledge, the list of things that we needed to do in order to prepare for that. And they were there at a critical moment when it came to moving her out. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. Welcome back to the second half of the Whistleblower Report blockbuster legal segment on hospitals ignoring the Bears reporting requirements for vaccine injuries with hospitalist physician assistant Deb Conrad and False Claims Act specialist attorney Warner Mendenhall. And we would like to share with all of our listeners just exactly what the CDC itself says are reportable events after 
the vaccine injury required reporting of serious and adverse and moderate adverse effects. And then Deb and I, as medical professionals treating, evaluating and treating vaccine injured patients, we're going to talk with you about some of the symptoms to be aware of and some of the resources for medical help. So this is a segment you don't want to miss. Warner, go ahead and talk about what healthcare reporters are required to report to VAERS based on what the CDC directed the hospitals and any vaccination center. <clears throat> yeah, if, if I could, just for a moment, where we ended off with the whistleblower protection. I want to pick up on that just briefly before we get started on the VAERS issue. And it's simply this. If you're going to be a whistleblower, there is protection in the False Claims Act for you. I, what you should do, though, is specifically notify your administration that you believe they're violating the False Claims Act uh, so that you put them on notice of that if you can. I think that's important. The second thing to know is your damages are double back pay. So if you lose your job, you'll get double back pay plus, plus potentially front pay. That means money that you've lost going forward goes into that analysis. So it's a very strong law plus your attorney fees are reimbursed in that process. So it's a very strong law. It's very strong protection for whistleblowers. And uh, we probably should do a whole show about how to be a whistleblower. Uh, but I, this is a great opportunity to let people know, Dr. Vleet. So thank you. But moving on, the, the reporting events that are required under VAERS, you know, the adverse, the serious adverse events are right here on the screen. Death, a life-threatening adverse event, inpatient hospitalization or prolongation of existing hospitalization, substantial or significant disruption of normal life functions. And for children, a congenital uh, anomaly, a birth defect if you're a pregnant woman, and we've seen those, uh, and any other important medical event based on medical judgment that may jeopardize the individual or require surgical intervention. So uh, additionally, cases of myocarditis after the, vac the vaccines, and I hate to use that word, pericarditis, multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children and adults. And the one that I think we're seeing all over the place are now are cases of COVID-19 that result in hospital or hospitalization or death. So if you've had the shot and you go to the hospital or you die from COVID, that's a serious adverse event. Now, we are seeing that happening in the tens of thousands in this country. And I think that's why what we see in some of these hospitals is that they're not reporting the vaccination status in their system. They're, they're, not, they're not reporting it in. So you'll have somebody who's had the shot, they come in ill, but it doesn't show up uh, that they have had the shot. And I think that's it may be an effort to avoid the VAERS reporting. So healthcare providers, it says right here, are encouraged to report to VAERS any of these clinically significant adverse events, uh, whether or not you're sure of it. So you don't have to be sure of it. The requirement does not require that you are absolutely sure of it. If you see an adverse event that you think is related, you are required by law to submit a VAERS report. Well, and let's also consider the next paragraph, the CDC's document, refers to healthcare providers, and I'm quoting, healthcare providers must report any additional selected adverse events and or any revised safety reporting requirements 
per FDA's conditions of authorized use of vaccines throughout the duration of any COVID-19 vaccine emergency use authorization or any approved COVID-19 vaccine as outlined in the fact sheet for healthcare providers. And I can tell you for sure they're not doing that. Right, right. It's just a, a terrible uh, abrogation of their responsibility to the public. A great example, I apologize. A great example of this is when uh, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine came out with uh, the increased risk of uh, blood clots, pulmonary embolism. We did receive an email in regards to that, but there was, there was nothing about you are required to report you know, pulmonary emboli after the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. There, there was none of that. You know, this it gets more egregious every day we learn what the hospitals are not doing that they should be doing and what they are doing to override patient rights. Deb, what were some of the kinds of symptoms that you were seeing in the vaccinated patients? Let's help our listeners understand what to watch for after the COVID shot. You'll have your experiences and I have mine from my medical practice. And then I want our listeners to also know Truth for Health Foundation initiated a citizen's vaccine injury reporting system so that you have access to a user-friendly, accessible, easy to use way to report adverse events after any vaccine, particularly the COVID shots, which I refuse to call a vaccine because they're gene therapy and they are not traditional vaccines. In addition, we have the vaccine injury treatment guide that is your roadmap to recovery. It lists the symptoms, it lists diagnostic tests I'm using in my own medical practice, it lists imaging studies that need to be done in a special protocol to pick up micro blood clots and inflammatory damage of the heart, the brain, uh, lungs, abdomen, testicles, ovaries, things like that. And then we have an integrated approach to treatment options from prescription medications that you would work with a licensed practitioner to provide all the way to lifestyle changes, nutraceuticals, vitamins, minerals, and the way you eat, what foods you eat that can reduce inflammation and blood clot risk. So we have worked hard to put together a layman's guide, go to our website, download it. It's free. You put in your email so that we can send you updates and print it. And that is your roadmap to recovery. You do not have to be helpless. Deb, what are some of the things you're seeing? Well, I, I mean, again, going back to that VAERS, again, it's, it's regardless of causality, these are the conditions we have to report. So when we talk about inpatient hospitalization after vaccination, I interpret that to be if a patient received a vaccine and then the next day or the week later or three months later came in with a new condition that could not be explained otherwise, um, you know, they did nothing different, that would get a report because we at that time had no long-term safety data to really know what exactly was going to be a side effect. Um, so I pretty much reported exactly to the T that they said was required reporting. So that included pulmonary emboli, strokes, heart attacks, 
brain bleeds, appendicitis, um, new cancers that came out of nowhere. And just, you know, these patients were 20 years in remission, got a vaccine, and then all of a sudden had their breast cancer return and it was extremely aggressive. We saw that all the time. I had two, uh, I had two acute um, myelogenous leukemias that I reported. Um, there were deaths, patients got their vaccines and then 48 hours were found dead by family members. They passed out on the floor the following day. All sorts of things. We had necrotizing fasciitis after the vaccines, skin conditions, RSV in adults that required hospitalization and intubation, ventilation, because they were so sick. Shingles that was disseminated. I could go on and on. The very odd, strange things, many of which I have never seen in my career. We would have patients come in with blood clots that, was, that were already on blood thinners. And all of a sudden the blood thinners stopped working in 2021. It was just incredible. So anything unusual, which really 2021 was just so unusual and it continues. And of course, COVID infection that required a hospitalization or anybody who died from COVID in the hospital. And what was very interesting was, remember there was that time frame where they said, well, you're not really fully vaccinated till you've, yeah. you've had two weeks. So they interpreted that, that no, that wasn't a breakthrough. So they would try to say, no, you can't report that because that's not a breakthrough if they weren't that. And then it got to, well, they're not boosted. So they're not really vaccinated anymore because they didn't get the booster. So they were playing word games that. throughout. Yep, they oh, this, but I didn't buy it. I just kept reporting. This is what I'm doing. Um, but those were the, the the kind of little things that would go on that people would would justify why they weren't doing these reports. And it was all about well, it's my inter. You know, I was over interpreting the data. I was over interpreting the data. Um, you know, interpreting this this bears way too broadly. I was the only one doing it, um, and and basically I was wrong. The people at your institution who were telling you that in the leadership were clearly violating the, own, the, the participation agreement that they signed and what the CDC said. So they actually were going against what the directions from the CDC had been trying to make you to be the culprit. All the more reason to take the steps you've taken to be a whistleblower and bring this to the attention of, of the proper authorities in, a, in the legal world way that you're doing. And Warner, how do other, let's just, just at least quickly talk about what are, some, what are some other groups of people that might consider becoming a whistleblower? Because I think a lot of times citizens would like to make a difference, but they don't know how. Well, I mean, what we see with the uh, with the patient, for example, the patient, uh, especially a Medicare uh, patient, is going to have a, a explanation of benefits that come. So they can look; they need to look at those the explanations of benefits, and there may be an issue in there that they can observe. The patients themselves, though, I mean, they know whether they've had an adverse event, even along these same lines. Um, now, I don't think it's going to be hard for one individual with one failure to report to bring a case. But if you citizens would get together and submit all of your cases of adverse 
events that were not reported to bears, you know, possibly to truth for health or, you know, how, but yeah. if, if we could collate that information and let's say we had a, a hundred uh, patients uh, from one hospital system that said, look, I had this event happen, but it never got reported to bears. And uh, we have their documentation and particularly maybe an EOB or whatever record they have of the hospital, uh, you know, getting paid for the, the shot. You know, it's possible that we could have some kind of grassroots citizen strategy to build cases against these hospitals. But one is probably not enough. But if you citizens will get together uh, and, and let us know as, you know, inform groups that are going to your local hospital and, you know, there's been these kinds of problems, you know, maybe we can do that. I mean, we're into such innovative strategies right now. It's really unbelievable, even among the lawyers and how I'm practicing law is changing on the fly here. There's so much group effort that's happening and we need to have citizens make a group effort as well to hold our institutions responsible. That's exactly what Truth for Health Foundation is doing. We started it with the Citizens Vaccine Injury Reporting System. And I have already made a commitment that to a number of nursing groups and others that we will take the lead in starting a database exactly as you just said. We will set up a reporting system for people who know about vaccine injuries that weren't reported to VAERS, and we'll start collecting that. And if, if Deb is willing to help us spearhead that as part of our nursing network, and you and I are committed to taking it forward with the foundation as a plaintiff in a false claims action under your legal strategy and your firm's work, we will do it. I'm committed to that. We, yeah, your citizens reporting uh, system could be just fantastic on this. So we need to, we probably should get a kind of a list of what kind of adverse events are reportable to VAERS so people know exactly if they can identify their own adverse event and their local hospital that failed to report it, we could have an incredible database over time. Uh, yes. And, and I do want to say we have some time. I mean, we need to move on this to stop this, but the False Claims Act has a six-year statute of limitations. So you guys you just get to work out there. Um, let's get it done. Let's get it collated and let's get it organized. If we could go hospital by hospital, that'd be wonderful. Hold these guys accountable. I'm committed to working with you. And I know that our donors would be very pleased to see that we are taking action to hold them accountable. We're not just talking about it. We're not just getting up on stage and doing a educational program. We are literally in the trenches doing hospital rescues, holding them accountable in the court of law. We've got two cases going forward on behalf of two military service members that represent thousands of other service members. And we are working with your firm already on a wrongful death case and another false claims case, we're committed to serving the public and protecting the right to life, bodily autonomy, bodily integrity, medical freedom, the core rights to religious exemptions, medical exemptions, all of these things that are being ignored and getting people help for their injuries 
when the public health authorities responsible for public health and safety have ignored the damage being done by this experimental use product. I'm just outraged at what our own agencies are doing to betray the public trust. And we are going to do everything possible to fight it. So I'm grateful to have both of you and Deb, your courage in coming forward and doing the right thing throughout the pandemic. Really, it was inspiring the first time I heard your story over a year ago. And I continue to be inspired by the work that you're doing and the fact that you are taking risk to speak out. We need more whistleblowers like you to come forward. And we are here to help with that. I, I also am seeing some of the same medical problems that you've described, but also I wanna bring up a couple of things that are maybe more subtle that people wouldn't know. We're seeing in the outpatient practice setting where I work, I'm seeing more of unusual vague symptoms, dizziness, vertigo, tinnitus, ringing in the ears, brain fog, um, falling. People that were in their 60s, 70s, healthy, fit, athletic, older adults that suddenly are having all of these falls, they're losing their balance. These are, these are indications of brain inflammation, and we've never had any shot in the history of vaccines that cross the blood-brain barrier and cause actual brain damage in the brain and brain inflammation. So a lot of the subtle things that doctors are just ignoring are actually complications of the shot in addition, and there's treatment for that as we outline in our treatment guide. And a lot of the younger reproductive age women that I work with who were doing fine on birth control pills, for example, suddenly have all this, all this abnormal bleeding after the COVID shots. And that has to do with the damage to the blood vessels caused by the spike protein and the lipid nanoparticles. And so all of these bleeding episodes, all of the menstrual irregularities, all and, and men with testicular pain and men with suddenly new fatigue, loss of muscle mass, they're losing testosterone because of the shots damage to the testicle. So there are a lot of these other things that are happening across the country in the outpatient setting that are being totally ignored. And there's not the same reporting requirement for doctors in the outpatient setting because they weren't participating in the vaccination program. So we have a harder road to go in helping those patients, but there is treatment available and I wanted to bring that up. Are there other comments as we come to the end of this show and I do think it's a good idea to have a follow-up program on how to be a whistleblower and what your protections are because I think the public needs to know that. I think there are lots of good people out there who would like to help and don't know how. So that's our job is to teach them what are, what are some of your closing thoughts in our last five minutes today? I just thank God for people like you and <laughs> for people like Deborah Conrad uh, and for people like Brooke Jackson, because without the whistleblowers coming forward, 
And without people caring and setting up structures like you did to help protect whistleblowers and to get this information to the public, you know, I'm, a I'm an attorney, so I can't do anything unless I have a client and an action and an injury, yeah. something I can work on. So without Deb Conrad's courage, uh, we're nowhere on this. Uh, but her coming forward, I think, gives us an opportunity to uh, teach the world about what's going on. And it gives the whistleblowers an opportunity to learn what they can actually do because they really don't know it. I know they're scared about the HIPAA stuff. So we got to address that a little bit. You know, I know they're scared to come forward because they're going to lose their job. We got to talk about the fact that they're going to get there is a way to recover under the act, double back pay, not just single, double plus front pay. So, you know, I'm hoping, you know, these are all tough roads. These are all tough battles. You know, freedom isn't free. We are all sacrificing. And I, unfortunately, that sacrifice, I think, is just beginning, not ending. But, you know, I'm going to try to figure out ways to protect whistleblowers and at least help them recover from their injury from being fired. Great. That, and that's what we as medical professionals have needed, Warner. Literally, we were in the trenches desperate to help people trapped in the hospitals that became medical prisoners. And we were having trouble finding lawyers to go to bat. Doctors didn't have the power to threaten legal action. And the whole first year of the pandemic, I was tearing my hair out trying to find lawyers that would work with us. So what I think is so powerful about this alliance that we've brought together under the umbrella of Truth for Health Foundation as a we the people charity supported by we the people and donors who care about getting this medical legal team together, it has taken all of us working together. We cannot do it alone. And I believe that it takes us working in faith that God is ultimately sovereign and that God empowers us through Christ. And it's our job to do what we are called to do. And that's what each of you are doing. That's thank you for coming forward. And I would be unable to do what we do in the foundation if it weren't for lawyers that are helping us pro bono, and many are helping us pro bono, and many doctors and nurses and physician assistants and other people are working with us because they care. They care about life. They care about the rule of law. They care about our country and our freedom. So Deb, you have a link to other healthcare workers, who are still in the healthcare system, they can, you can encourage them that we're here to be a support to them. We've got the reporting system in place that we can start building the database. And we've got a great technical team that can help us add a database that we want to build. And so let's continue to work together to do all of this. And I just, Thank you both for coming forward today. And I want to leave our listeners with a thought. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I often quote, he was a Lutheran minister at the time of World War II 
who spoke out against the horrors and atrocities of the Nazi Holocaust. And ultimately, the Hitler regime put him to death. But he, one of his, one of his most famous quotes, I hold in my heart to this day, and it guides all that I do, and all that I would encourage all of you to do. And he said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. So my question to all of you listening, will you remain silent in the face of the evil that is assaulting us, killing people, taking your freedom, and changing your way of life, and threatening the future for your children and grandchildren? Or will you come forward and speak up, join us in the whistleblower team, bringing truth and hope and solutions in the face of the lies and deceptions. It's your choice. Take a stand, get loud, get involved, and we will be back with another Whistleblower Report. Thank you for being with us. God bless you, and may God continue to bless the United States of America.